All right, Jeff, cut me a little slack here. I am recovering from COVID. I got my diagnosis this week. First time I've had this thing, and uh, occasionally we'll go into a coughing fit, which we'll try to edit out. But Well, but you're feeling better now. So I'm feeling a little better now, that, yeah. So. Yeah, a little headache, but I'm doing pretty well. Yeah. Thank you for listening to the Fields Brothers Show. I'm not sure, Jeff, that the humming really enhances the intro music. I'm, I'm just, just going all on a limb here. I'm and all say, geared up and ready for this. So I'm Roger Fields. I'm here with Jeff, and we're talking about the God's unfiltered grace. And this is in a time of mixed grace, where a lot of what you hear in Christianity is a mixture of works and grace, which we think really dilutes the good news of the gospel. And so anyway, in listening to this question is advised, the following views and opinions may not necessarily represent those of the staff and management of your local church. And so I was also say we're here to help you understand grace in the face of religious ambiguity. How about that? Yeah, I like that. that. And I'll just real quick, I read something early. I think it's good for, for both of us to remember a, a post by someone that I've really been enjoying his post. He, he made the difference between grace data or grace life. And what he meant by that is just the facts of the new covenant and grace are one thing the spiritual life that is contained in those is something else. Yeah, that's and good. So, I like that. And so we, we don't yeah. want to, we don't, we hope our podcast don't yeah. just communicate grace data. Well, it's more we than just a doctrine. That, right, exactly. You know. So we hope that the, that uh, we communicate grace life as well, not just facts. Yeah. So. I mean, this is really about how you live daily, that you can relax into the love and grace of God based on what he has done for you on the cross. And this is all about relationship with God. It's not about, what you do for God or don't do. Um, it's about what he has and, done for you. And when we point out what, what we see as flaws and things that people post or things that have written or common views out there, it, it's, you know, hopefully done in the spirit, you know, to build up, not just to yeah. tear down, but because sometimes that is, you know, and, and yeah. the apostle Paul pointed out flaws in order to make clear what the truth is. Yeah. And so, all right. One of the my most aggravating phrases for me when people talk about grace, is the term, I guess, coined by Diedrich Bonhoeffer, the, the term cheap grace. Yeah. And let me give you my, how I handle cheap grace now, how I explain that term. Okay, let's say this. Let's say, Jeff, just use your imagination. Let's say that I buy you a brand new Lexus. Brand new, went down, I paid for it, paid cash, brought it over to your house, gave it to you. You normally use Ferrari. Yeah, you I know. From Ferrari I just to Lexus? thought I would bring it down a notch. Okay, okay. okay. All right. A Lexus. So I give you this Lexus. You're missing the whole point. I'll give you the Lexus, and let's say you get this Lexus, and then after a week or so, you go down back to the to the, um, um, the dealership, and you say, well, I'm here to make my payment. Mm-hmm. I say, well, you don't have to make a payment. It's been paid for. Roger paid for it. So no, no, no. I, I need to make my payment on the new Lexus. It, it's, it's already paid for. And then if you get real indignant and you say, well, what is this cheap transportation? <laughs> you know, well, no, it's not cheap. It's free because somebody else paid for it. It is incredibly expensive, yeah. but it's paid for. Yeah, it's incredibly expensive. And it's paid, there's no such thing. It's not cheap grace to believe that it's all about grace and not about your mixture of grace and works. It just means that everything has been paid for in full by Jesus on the cross, which is what he said when he was dying. He said, it is finished, which is a term yeah. that means is paid in full. I like that. So, I mean, cheap does not mean, you know, I mean, it just means it's paid for. Yeah. So cheap doesn't mean it's not valuable. There wasn't a huge cost. It just means, you know. But what they but, but people use that phrase, what they're saying to you is, yeah, you just believe in some kind of a, a easy thing that just doesn't mean anything. It's kind of, a, they use this a way to ex- say that grace is meaningless to you. It just can have a cheapness to it. Well, it's not cheap. It's free. 
It was expensive, but Jesus paid the full price. Big difference. So Lexus was not cheap. It was expensive, but it's paid for. Right. That reminds me of this po- or reply. I don't know who this person is. Replied to somebody else that that on a, that I follow on Facebook says hyper grace is what legalists call real grace when it threatens their sense of being better than others, the source of their religious power over others, or diminishes their sense of spiritual entitlement. That is pretty good. Yeah, read that again. Hyper, I like that. Hyper grace is what legalists call real grace when it threatens three things. When it threatens, one, their sense of being better than others, two, the source of their religious power over others, or three, diminishes their sense of spiritual entitlement. Yep. So real hyper grace is what legalists call yep. Real grace. Well, I'm an so, advocate of hyper grace, if that's what. That's know. a Greek word. Who it's a Greek word. Yeah, it means a very biblical term, hyper grace. Well, hey, I have another thought for you. Just tell me if you agree with this. I think when you inevitably happens when you believe in a mixture of grace and law. I mean, very few Christians are anti-grace. Right. They just like to mix law so much in it that the grace doesn't mean much. But that you know the concept of grace, they're fine with. You know, they'll sing Amazing Grace all day long, but they'll just mix all their works and law with it. Now. One thing that happens, I believe, inevitably, when you have a mixture of law and grace, is you begin to compartmentalize your life. You have kind of your churchy life, and then you have maybe your family life, your business, um, your whatever life. You, you, you compartmentalize things, and a lot of times they're inconsistent with each other, these compartments, because you can't be honest about struggles you're having because if you're if you're honest about it then you're kind of admitting that you're not living up to the standard the moral yeah, code it's, it's the law or whatever it's not working yeah. so you can't really admit that so you just compartmentalize so that's why you can go to church and you can act like everything's fine you're, there's no problems everything's but everybody pretty much does that at church you act like i'm fine everything's cool i'm not i'm doing everything god wants me to do because you compartmentalize your life and i think one thing that grace does is it eliminates the need to compartmentalize your life you can mm-hmm. be more whole because you can say, yeah, I got problems. I got struggles still. I've got, I'm not doing great with this, but it's not based on me. It's not based on my performance. Yeah. It's based on what God has done for me in Jesus. And therefore you can be a more, a more complete person. I believe without having to compartmentalize everything, you can be whole, you can be, and I believe that the Bible word for this would be peace. You can be at peace. Mm-hmm. I think it's hard to be at peace. when you get everything compartmentalized. Don't have to wear a mask. You don't have to wear a mask. You don't have to pretend to be something you're not because it's not about you anyway. It's about what Jesus has done for you. That's the gospel. That's the good news. There we go. It reminds me of something I got to think about just the last couple of days. I saw someone on Facebook quoted from our book and quoted from a chapter, honestly, I'd totally forgotten about, you know, that we had written, but I'd, I'd totally forgotten about this, that talks about how we, it is hard many times for Christians, we feel guilty if we don't feel guilty. You know, we get so used, and I remember oh, yeah. years ago, oh, yeah. many years ago, when I was preaching full time, had a friend of mine that was also on staff at, at a large, very large congregation, and we became friends. He spoke at our church one time, held a meeting, and all this. I remember him saying one time, and I don't know why this stuck with me, but I remember the time he says, "Yeah, I feel guilty all the time." I mean, so this is someone yeah. that seemed to have it all together, that was on the church staff and devoting his whole life. He said, "Yeah, I feel guilty pretty much all the time," and. I think there's a lot of Christians that are. Oh in that yeah, camp that was just a very honest guilty. statement from him. Yeah, and so yeah, I appreciated the honesty. So I mean, if 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 you feel guilty all the time as a believer, then we've got well, good news well, for you. Yeah, so. and here, here's the question. Okay, so Jesus came to this earth, was born as a baby, grew up, gave his life, shed his blood on a cross, died and resurrected, so that you can go around feeling guilty the rest of your yeah, life. Yeah, it's really uh, really it's, that's it's, it. It's, that's our message. It's a denial of the of the finished work yeah. of the cross, and it's not that we. 
so we're not saying, well, that just sin's not important. So it's not that we're saying, you're saying we're, we are saying that feeling guilty and shameful over it does not do a single thing no. to, to help a person overcome sin or no. to be free from sin, no. that that is not. So we all want the same thing. We all want to see ourselves and other people walking in the love of God and the righteousness of God and walking in the spirit and all that. It's just a different law does not get us there and yeah. getting people to feel guilty and shameful does not get us there. And so, you know, be careful about, you know, don't feel guilty about not feeling guilty. I have, I have a test you can kind of take. This is just now hit me. If you took a piece of paper and just off the top of your head, wrote down the references of just some of the Bible verses that you're familiar with. You just jotted down either what the verse said or okay. the reference. Okay. And maybe take whatever you can come up with four or five, six, maybe up to 10. Okay. And then look at those verses and, and ask yourself, do those verses speak about the grace of God, that what he's done for us on the cross of Jesus, or do those verses that you have recited or remembered talk more about what you should be doing as a believer? And I would contend that if most of the verses that come to mind are about what you should be doing, then you really probably missed what it means to live in grace, to live based on what God has done for you in Jesus. Okay. You agree with that? Yeah. I mean, and what comes to mind is that sometimes the exact same verse can be seen different ways. And so someone that tends to see scripture through a law-based mentality of yep, what I need right. to do for God will look at the exact same verse very differently than somebody else who sees it through. And we talk about seeing scripture through the lens of the cross, right. of how did the cross, how does the cross come into play of how I view this verse? I, I right love, now. I still love this quote. And I don't know who originally said this. this is one of my favorite quotes, my top three favorite of all time. And it, have, it takes a second to hear this to, to kind of get it, but it says this, if when I say to you, that Jesus hung out with sinners, and your response is, yes, we ought to be more like that, mm -hmm. then you don't know who you are in that that's story. Right. That's an example. So that's that's not, a perfect example. In that yeah. case, it's not one specific verse, but it's the story, right. you know, any of those stories. Right. And you know, that's exactly right, that you view that in a law-based mentality. You look at, okay, what do I need to do? Rather than I'm more. the sinner that right. Jesus hangs right. out with. And so I mean, that really, yeah. and that has been a change, I think, for both of us in the last few years yeah. of learning to read scripture through that. Let me give an example, and I'm going to get back to what, then this gives me an opportunity to get back to what I mentioned in our last podcast that I would bring up. The Galatians 2.20, I made a post on this recently, you know, I am crucified with Christ. I think a lot of people, you can look at that verse either way. You can see it, okay, this is an aspiration. I need to be more like Paul here. Mm -hmm. I need to live a crucified life. I want to hopefully someday be able to say, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. As if that's some plateau that Paul right. achieved. Like it's right. a future goal out there, as opposed to saying that is a present reality. And, in, and in, if I am in Christ and Christ is in me and we've been joined together, that is not a goal to which to aspire. That is a current reality to believe now. And so, and that's where last podcast, I mentioned this song that we used to sing a lot. Anyone listening to this that are in their fifties or sixties, remember the, um, the old song, I have decided to follow Jesus. It was all the time used for camps, decision times, yeah, altar calls, decision that time, type altar of thing. Call. Yeah, right. And one of the verses says the world behind me, the cross before me. And I got thinking, okay, look, think of that in terms of what I just mentioned on Galatians 2 20. No, the, in that sense, the cross, now I, I like focusing on the cross and, and it is important to focus on the cross, but the cross is not before us. The cross is behind us is my point here. The cross is not a feature. I'm not moving toward the cross. I'm moving out of, I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm living from the cross and that maybe I'm getting too. Well, I don't know how they on, meant on that in the song. I can that. see what you mean by that. I, I'm not sure wh which way they meant that. They either meant that is the cross is something I achieve or yeah, strive that, for, or I'm just focused on what has been done for me on the cross. I'm not sure that I'm, I would. 
I see what you're saying. Yeah. Like, it depends maybe. on how you interpret that verse. I but think. the idea that if I see it as, okay, I'm trying to die to myself. No, the cross yeah. is behind me. It already happened. That's yeah. a phrase that comes to my mind a lot. The cross happened. Right. You know, I think there's a good book out there called The Cross Works, and I, and I like that. But another way of looking at this, the cross has already happened. It's past tense. The old self was crucified with Christ. We are now free to walk in a new life. It's finished. Uh, the world is behind you, but so is the cross, you know, in that regard. Hey, I, let me give you a, another thought here. Can I change the topic yeah. for a second? Yep. Um, this hit me the other day. We had a little discussion about this verse. This is in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I don't know if you'd agree with this or not, but let me just kind of lay this on you and see what you think. This is a verse that's I think is pretty cool that says in verse 9, 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1, verse 9, it says, He saved us and called us to a holy calling, uh, which means a separate calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Mm-hmm. So I made the comment that I think it's pretty amazing that God gave us this grace before the ages began. Well, immediately when you say that, you conjure up, okay, now we're, we're doctrinally, where are you? Now you're a Calvinist. <laughs> you're pretty, and isn't it amazing, though, we can't take a verse and say, you know, I don't really know how this works. I don't really know how this fits in doctrinally, but I just think it's absolutely amazing that somehow in God's ability to be outside of time that he called us apart from our works before time even began. Can't we just receive certain scripture statements without having to worry about whether how it yeah. fits in doctrinally? Yeah. You know, I don't know how that fits in doctrinally. I don't yeah. know. You know, somebody wouldn't really push me on predestination. I, I'm not totally sure where I stand on that, to be honest with you. I, I see kind of both sides, but I think we ought to be able to just say, to kind of rejoice in a, a truth in Scripture without us having to be able to figure out <laughs> the piece of the puzzle that this fits yeah. into. Yeah, oh, I, I absolutely agree. And I used to be, and I guess some people are more analytical than others, and I probably tend to, to follow well, the I analytical both side do, but, and all that. Because yeah. I, I used to be in the, I think more so than you ever were. I, I, I One time I was in that Reformed Calvinist yeah, camp. I right. read a few books, and boy, you read a few books, and it starts yeah. making sense and all that. Yeah. But then I mentioned before on this, part of what bothers me today is that that tends to be believed by the people that are intellectually smarter than others. And I'm mm-hmm. thinking, okay, if, if the yeah. truth requires a higher IQ, then I think something's wrong with there. But yeah, I'm with you on that, that I no longer have to, I don't feel compelled to defend one way or yeah. the other in that. Yeah, so. but it's, it's amazing, though. We've, we've compartmentalized understandings of scripture into doctrinal camps you know well, if you believe that you're charismatic yeah. if you believe this you're a calvinist you believe that you're an arminian you believe that well what the i mean why can't we just look at a verse and go well i think that's pretty cool i just appreciate that god has done this you said what then stop what were you gonna yeah, say what the heck yeah. okay okay <laughs> I, I censor myself okay I saw something on Facebook the other day, and this falls into that category that we talked about earlier, that you know, when we point things out like this, hopefully it's to amplify the truth and not, you know, I hope I don't come across as just thinking that, okay, we're smarter than others and all this, but this is someone, I think you know this person, this person is older than both of us, has spent his entire adult life in um, some type of paid Christian vocation, either You know, there's pulpit. fewer of those people left, you know that. Yeah, I people guess that are older so than this us, person has spent anyway. his entire life okay. either in the pulpit or in a, a Bible college or in a parachurch organization of some sort. Right. Says this, and, and there's a couple of, there's two different things here that really kind of, st- uh, you know, I think it's very sad, you know, that, that people agree with this type of stuff. It says, in this culture that trivializes infidelity, Christ is so concerned about our faithfulness to the bride. So he talks about our faithfulness to the bride. It said, his church. Let's challenge God's people to fidelity in 2022 by making his bride, the church, our valentine. 
2022, faithful to tithe is fidelity. Then he goes in Malachi. And I got one other thing that to read about what he put. <laughs> but the idea that we're to make the church the local, the local congregation. Well, that's what he's, yeah. you know, he doesn't say that, but it's definitely in that. But the idea that we're to make the church our Valentine, you know, I'm thinking, no, wait a minute. We are the church. So we're to make ourselves the Valentine? I thought Jesus is the valentine you know if we're going to make someone a valentine or consider someone a valentine it's, it's jesus so i mean it really is weird to think of the church as to fall in love with itself type of thing well a lot then, of people absolutely see it that way then he talks about malachi and mentions malachi 3 unfaithful people so uh, is is it unfaithful people to honor god with tithe uh interesting parallel to today's culture of arrogance and then the last phrase is this god is looking for faithful people to bless God is looking for faithful people to bless. So why is that not right? Well, first of all, you don't need Jesus for that. Um, you could you could have you could have said that with just as much vigor under uh, the Old Testament law as mm-hmm. you could more so than you could say it after the cross, after Jesus died, buried, and resurrected for us. Um, and so the idea it, it just puts all all the emphasis on us. You know, if I'm faithful, and you know, I mean, I've said over and over, Christians will do anything, Jeff, except for one thing: we won't believe, believe. the gospel. Yeah. Just believe the good news. No, I'm not going to do that because that means there's just going to be sin. We'll just run amok, you know, if we believe that Jesus paid the full price and that we can be free. Can't be doing that, but, boy, we'll do anything else but that. And John 6, this is the work of God to believe in the one whom he has sent. So God is not, I don't need to measure up in some degree of faithfulness for God to bless me. He has blessed us. He has already blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ in the heavenly realms. His blessing is based on the faithfulness of Jesus Christ on our behalf, yep. not on my, you know, quote unquote, faithfulness in, in daily performance. And I mean, this really is, you know, denying the finished work of the cross in here and bringing people back under law. And then, you know, I'm sure the same person would turn right around and talk about grace. And that's where we get the mixture coming in together there. So. It is amazing. You know, I love this verse. I, mean, I don't know if we've ever read this on the podcast. Maybe we have. But Romans chapter 1, he says, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, the good news, for it, it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Greek. For in it a righteousness is revealed from God. Faith for faith is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And I think it's just so amazing. Whatever happens in this big umbrella of Christianity. I'm never ashamed of the gospel. I may be ashamed mm-hmm. of churches and what preachers do and a lot of other stuff, but it's never embarrassing. It's that, you know, I just believe in the good news of what Jesus has done for us, where he's given us his righteousness, which is really the theme of the book of Romans, uh, based on what he has done for us, not what we do for him. And I just love that Paul says that. I'm not ashamed of that. Yeah, I love that. And that, that verse, that's, you know, there's a handful of verses that come to my mind all the time, and that's one of them. And the power of the gospel. When we just announce, you know, it's the gospel is an announcement. It's not a, you know, it's not a list. It's not a list of rules. It's an announcement of what has already happened for us. And, and when people hear that and believe that, that is powerful. That, is that powerful. brings about transforming change. And on the flip side, there's no power in religious obligations. Yeah. There's no power when I say to you, now you need to be tithing more and you need to be serving more. There's no power in that. Now I might be able to guilt you into changing your outward activity. Um, but it's, there's no inherent power that allows you to live a more fulfilled life, a peaceful life, a joyful life, a life just relaxing in God. There's there's no fruit that's produced. The fruit of the Spirit is produced when we relax into what God has done for us. There's power in that message. 
And there's just not power. When you strip away or even dilute grace with a bunch of religious obligations, you take away the power. Okay, that, that brings to mind something I thought of this morning, and we're, I'm going to venture us into an area that we have never touched before, and I don't want to get into the uh, all aspects of it, but I, think, but I think it makes a really good point here is that I was reading some things earlier today or about the whole um, uh, trans movement of, of someone who's a man, you know, going through all this to try to be a woman or a woman going through all this to try to be a man. And, and, and I don't want to get in the details and the political views and all that stuff. And, right. and my heart goes out to people that are you know, obviously having a hard time in life that, that go through that. So, but the idea that that's a little bit of an example of what, when we don't understand grace, what we trying to do, that someone who they cannot change their DNA, they cannot change the chromosome makeup, but they're trying to change everything else on the outside to change their identity, basically someone trying to change their identity. And that's kind of a lot of what religion does, or not a lot, I mean, that is what religion does, is when we try to make yeah. ourselves righteous by changing everything on the outside. Right. And that the only way to be righteous is to be born again right. in, into the kingdom of God. And yeah. so it, it comes from the inside. So the identity in, for believers in Christ, the identity comes from who we are in that, in that union with Jesus Christ, death, burial, and resurrection with him. See, it depends on whether you want inner transformation or outward conformity. Yeah. And yeah. you can get outward conformity from people for a while. Oh, yeah. But that's not sometimes, the same as inner transformation. Sometimes our whole life. Yeah. We're there. Yeah. And that's why a lot of times when, there, when one area, and I think we've seen this and probably experienced in our own lives, when we do manage to outwardly conform in one area, then it kind of, the flesh will manifest itself in some other area. Yeah. And so that's why someone, okay, yeah, you've managed to control this or that particular aspect, but now you've got some other problem. Yeah. And it's kind of the flesh just surfaces in a different area. Yeah. Now, when I bring up this thing about inner transformation and outward conformity, people always read to me Bible verses in the New Testament where it talks about how we should treat people or live in peace or whatever. And here's what I say to that. And tell me if you agree with this. When, when I read verses like that, it's never a scripture says, okay, Roger, you got to buckle down and do this better. It just kind of you know, permeates me and lets me kind of gives a kind of a green light, I believe, for the Holy Spirit to do this kind of work in me, where it's not an effort thing, but it's just kind of a guidance of what direction um, that he'll take me. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so it's not, I never see it as, well, boy, I better work on that, you know, but it's like, wow, that's, that's the heart of God. That's what he would like for his people. And that just allows, I believe, the Holy Spirit um, to take me there. Yeah, there are directives, there are imperatives in the New Testament, yeah. but they are not laws. And that's right. the big difference. A law says, okay, here's what you need to do, and if you do it, you get this. If you don't do it, you get this. It comes with a, a prize or a, or a punishment. But like Colossians uh, 3, you know, talks about putting on tender mercies, kindness, humbleness, meekness, bearing one another, all this. but it starts with, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved. So because of who you are, this is this is what fits. This is how it's normal to act, and and there's no there's no penalties associated with it. Yeah. You know, he doesn't say, okay, be this this, and if you don't, this is what's going to happen, or God's going to whack you that type of yeah. thing. So it's a whole different. It's an imperative. It's an encouragement, but it's not a law, right? With that, and I think, and this kind of dovetails another little bit, but um, you know, in Luke chapter fifteen, verse two, one of the. Um, the criticisms of Jesus, I mean, they criticized him because he claimed to be God, but they also hated the fact of who he hung out with. Mm -hmm. He says he hangs out with and receives, I just think receives sinners and eats with them. And we kind of gloss over that sometimes. I mean, he hung out with some pretty 
immoral people. And I have thought about the word receive. That is I mean, pretty he significant. Received that's, them. that's that's yeah. going beyond just yeah, hanging out with them. He didn't just kind of, you know, hang out with them with with the um, aspect of looking down on them or tolerating them. I mean, he received them. Now he wasn't real good at hanging out with religious people like that, but he, you know, if you think you're too bad, if you're so bad that Jesus does not want to hang out with you, you really don't know Jesus that yeah. well. You know, this, he loves hanging out with messed up people. One of the things in in the little congregation that, that Trace and I attend, we've had a couple messages lately on people that met Jesus or interacted with Jesus. And so we had one sermon on the rich young ruler. The very next week, a message on um, the Syrophoenician woman in Matthew 15 that that wants, that's, you know, needs the... Uh, her daughter to be uh, delivered from a demon possession and all this. And it's really struck me how differently, and this is all through the gospels, not just these two to the rich young ruler. You know, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said, you, you got to keep the commands. Mm-hmm. And then he tells him to sell everything you have and all this. I mean, there is no grace. There is no mercy. There is no compassion. It's here's what you need to do. And he goes away sad. Well, this lady comes up and she's a Gentile. She's not even a Jew. So she's not under the law. She, she's crying out to him, have mercy on me for my daughter. And he doesn't say anything about the law. Mm-hmm. He doesn't say, I mean, so he, he, he responds totally different to her than he did to the rich young ruler. And he ends up, you know, it's an interesting dialogue back and forth. But it just really illustrates of how when Jesus was interacting with religious people, sometimes Pharisees, sometimes just the run-of-the-mill Jew mm-hmm. that was trying to do a good job, mm-hmm. he would basically preach law. But when he came across someone who he knew was not trying to measure up, that was already mm-hmm. at a point of realizing they need mercy, yeah. that's when he doesn't bring law up at all because yeah. they're already ready to receive grace, right. and, 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 and he healed her daughter. And I think we would say the reason he preached law to them, he wanted to bring them to the point where they needed, right. knew they needed a Savior. Yeah. I mean, that was really his approach. And so these other people like this lady, she already she knew she couldn't keep a law. Yeah, Jesus right? never tried to make the law easy. Exactly. He yeah. tried to make it very hard so they would realize that they couldn't approach God by the law, by their performance, that they needed grace. They needed what he was going to do for them shortly after by dying, um, being buried and resurrected it, for them. It's just amazing how he interacted differently with different people, and that's there we see the difference between law and grace with that. Yep, I like it. Don't forget to check out our book. Um Breaking the hex. Breaking the hex. with God after the cross-killed religion. I had a COVID brain religion. freeze. <laughs> been almost five years. You Life with God after the cross-killed religion. Five well, years I ago, still love that we phrase. You know? that. That's Life, a phrase yeah. out of Colossians 2, verse 14, how the law and its obligations were nailed to the cross. And sometimes we think the only thing really happened on the cross is Jesus died for us, and that certainly did happen. But a whole lot more was going on. And so anyway, um, check out the book on Amazon, Breaking the Hex. Life with God after the cross killed religion.